but I don't want to. An anxiety happy hour is three adults with anxiety talking about mental health and other sensitive topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Brittany. I'm Beamer. And I'm Bunsen. And, and we we're anxious. anxious. God damn it. <laughs> damn it, Brittany. Why do we sound like that? Why are we this way? Welcome to another episode of Let's Interview People, But I Don't Want To Style, an anxiety happy hour. Or for short, an anxiety happy hour. Or as I like to call it, ah. Damn it. We always let you do that. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like it's really you who jumps in on the second. That's like, you I, started? Do you... Yeah, because no one's starting it. And I feel the need to fill empty space. It's part of my anxiety. Or as I like to call it. Is that better? Was, was that a burp? Burp. Purple. It was... burp. Green. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. Jesus. That's, that's, that's a different thing. That's I was going to say, that's, um... that's a perfect uh, intro for the sex episode right there. <laughs> that but that's not what we're recording right now so tell us the name of the person or the pseudonym should they so desire of the person that you interviewed while Brittany and i took a lovely beach vacation just kidding we don't go anywhere <laughs> you do go places but you didn't go to the beach in this case that's true so i talked to my friend dana uh, who i've known for about a year and a half she is a entrepreneur, small business owner based in uh, Mystic, Connecticut. And, you know, she had some really interesting stories to tell in her life. And, you know, she was very open when we were talking about her anxiety. And, you know, that was one of the things I really appreciated was, you know, somebody who, uh, like us, is in the, you know, a place where they are comfortable talking about their mental health and their well-being. So I was like, oh, this will be a perfect sort of person to talk to and get an understanding of their perspective on how they manage to do something as monumental as create their own business. Well, coping with all the fun (laughs) that is mental health. Important question. Fire. Did you ask her Zodiac sign? Just for reference. Or whether she's a four wing five. You know what? We didn't talk Zodiac or Enneagrams. Uh, I know. I, I'll i get her back and I'll find out. You know what? I should shoot her a text maybe by the end of the episode. Right she now. has socials, right? Why don't yeah. you Why don't you do whatever the social equivalent is to forcing her to respond on the interwebs? I, I don't know how to speak young. <laughs> It's all right. I'll I'll find out uh, and, and we'll get that information. Can you do um, like a, a TikTok slam or something that she needs to respond to? I don't t- know. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, does Facebook even have pokes anymore? Remember when that was a thing and like you couldn't poke people because it was overtly sexual? It became yeah. overtly no. sexual later. Right. Which was then weird because that was the same time that the boomers were getting onto Facebook. Mm, so then all of a sudden you're getting pokes your from mom poked your you. mom. And it was mm. like, what the fuck? <laughs> I didn't know until way too late that the pokes were supposed to be sexual. I was having a lot of poke wars. Coops, were coops you over sexing there. people? She's apparently finger, finger blasting everybody. 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 <laughs> people so I thought I was dirty. just friends with. You're so dirty. That's why you had those lingering hugs with so many different people and you had no idea. Oh, you just made it worse for her. Well, can't do anything about it now. 
<laughs> Thanks for all the pokes, guys. <laughs> uh, listen, I was going to say, hey, listen, everybody who, uh, you know, if you were on Facebook with Brittany like 10 years ago, she apologizes for all of the uh, finger poking she did with you. <laughs> no way. She makes no apologies. Yeah, I don't she apologize am- for that. She-, okay. <laughs> she hopes it was as good for you as it was for her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that entrepreneur, why is she friends with you? No, that sounded mean. I meant it to sound mean, <laughs> but retrospectively i realize that it's not as funny when i'm mean to people that's just bullying beamer why are we friends (laughs) why are we friends because um i don't know you drive me no i've got to stop with the being that's why we're still friends no (laughs) no i i think we're friends because we can have open and honest conversations and i can tell you dumb stuff and you just think it's funny rather than judging me really harshly (laughs) That's fair. I do do that. I just accept people's idiocy because I just put my own back out there, don't I? Yeah. But I wasn't like really meaning that. You were saying like, how how did I become acquainted with Dana? Same way. We met on, um, actually I met Dana on Match.com of all places. What was your percentage match? I couldn't tell you. It was actually relatively high, I think. But at the same time, I've never, that's the, she's the only person I've interacted with from Match.com. Desolate, like, war zone out there. Tell the truth. Yeah. Are all your friends people that you used to date? No. Okay, okay. That would be awkward. Because I thought I was special, and now Dana is in the mix, too. People that I've become friends with more recently, there is a high likelihood that it was like, that was the way that I encountered them. Simply because of the fact that it was pandemic. How are you meeting new people, right? But no, I mean, most of my friends are people from work and things like that. Shout out to Canine Companions, which is a lovely, lovely boarding place that Bob now is quite fond of and goes, when I go places, he gets to go hiking and stuff with Bunsen's sister. The other day I was telling someone how I switched from the doggy resort to this other one because Bob made more dog friends and was getting more exercise. And they were like, oh, how'd you hear about this place? And I was like, oh, it's my my ex's sister's place. And they're like, that's weird that... And I was like, oh, that's not the weirdest. We also do a podcast together. <laughs> I recently found out that one of my good friends slept with a boy that I used to sleep with. And one of our biggest fights was about this boy. When I was talking to him, she went up and flirted with him and he flirted back because he was a horrible person. And that was one of our biggest fights. And then it turns out she went and slept with him after that. I have had more than one of my friends sleep with my brother. <laughs> From the sound of things, your brother slept with a lot of South Carolina. I mean, probably. He's very charming when he wants to be. <laughs> but if you're friends with I me, you know that he's a dumbass. <laughs> oh, I know. He would yes. have told me if he had slept with you. Don't <laughs> worry. Oh my God. Ew. But I, I don't understand it because I talk about what a trash human being it, he is on the regular because he is, especially to women. And so I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it when people sleep with him. Was it just that, like, they know that he's easy? I have no idea what it is. Most guys are easy to girls. I was about to say, like, you know, or is the <laughs> assumption just that, like, a guy will stick it in anything at any time? He's got a certain boyish charm, and I think there's an equation there where, like, I love Beamer. Surely her brother can't be that bad. You're wrong. Yeah, oh, I mean, man. you're wrong. But I, so I'm th- sure that's the path. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I mean, I don't really understand the logic. I'm, I'm not willing to find out. That's okay. I mean, you don't want to sleep with my brother? I'm not going to fuck your brother. I'm sorry. It's I can give you his number. <laughs> I'm, I'm really okay without even going there. It's all right. 
But he's got them ginger locks. Yeah, I don't know. Gingers are a whole different story altogether, too. You could lose your soul to him. I don't know that I have a soul left to lose. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Circling back around. Thank you, Bob, for your input. Yeah. Brittany, what are you are you still eating over there? Is that all you're hiding? No. Are you texting a boy? <gasps> I live with my boy. No. What are you uh, doing? I am <laughs> making my pickup list for Walgreens. <laughs> You adult motherfucker. <laughs> well, there's a deal that you could buy two face lotions and get the third for free, but you can't buy three of the same face lotions. The limit is one. So now I'm like getting like the complete and the sensitive skin and the regular to hack the deal. I need to go to CVS because every month I get $10 like freebie money to spend there. Oh, are you on that membership thing? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. okay fair you spend five dollars a month and they give you ten that and all your medical related purchases at cvs are discounted okay. do you buy That's a lot of stuff from well medical? i i got it when someone i loved was sick and i was like i might be buying things might as well and I was like, worst case scenario, because you can spend this $10 on anything. It doesn't have to be medical. Yeah. And I was like, worst comes to worst. I can make my ass go to CVS so that I get that money's worth. <laughs> I was going to say, it's it's not like you're trying to do some vampiric thing where you like put Epsom salts on ice or whatever and lay on that every night to sleep. What? What nonsense is that? Did you come up with that? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Oh, okay. That's a weird and specific guess. I figured it's something with vampires or, you know, you'd, you'd be in that. Something spooky. I do love the spook. I would be interested in meeting a vampire. Oh, for sure. <laughs> a thousand percent, yes. A sparkly twilight vampire or like creepy horror vampire? Don't creepy care. horror. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question though. Mm-hmm. If you could meet any mythological creature, which one are you meeting? You only get to meet one. And you're going to have a good time? Unclear. Like a platonic good time? Or like it's going to be scary? I don't know. And bad. You roll in the dice. Definitely I'm definitely going. The Sorry. The Fae? Me too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll go die together. <laughs> I was after listening to those Irish girls and the way they talked about them, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'd want to fuck with those things. Oh, um, you, you really don't, but I really do. You don't fuck with them. You just exist. You just hope that them. they find you amusing enough to not kill. But not too amusing that they want to keep. Right. Yes. So that they can replace <laughs> replace you with one of their body doubles. Like, yeah. I mean, that, that was some shit right there. I mean, we're a little old for the changeling. Yeah. They probably wouldn't changeling us. Usually the idea is either if they hate you, they'll just kill you. If they find you too amusing they might entrap you into servitude or some nonsense or spell you and if they just mildly find you amusing they might use you as a plaything for a little bit and then you you leave and everyone thinks you're crazy but if it's a sarah j moss fae <laughs> like the high fae you might fall in also love. die you might also <laughs> die you might also die depending which one Brittany's Brittany's aiming for the love here, I can tell. What if you end up in the autumn court? Come on. So, all right. So does it, it clearly it can't be a human. It can be a near human, but it can't be an actual human. That's the, the mythological creature. Right? Or an alicorn or a unicorn or it doesn't have to be humanoid at all. If there's some human, though, some fictional human that you'd rather meet, you can you could say that, Bunsen. I won't judge. I mean, I'll judge you, but. Or a dragon. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, dragons are fun. Or maybe. tree beard. Or they're going to kill you. Well, that's, that's the thing, because it's like so many of these mythological creatures are things that are just going to fuck you up, right? I feel like Bunsen wants to meet something small and adorable and maybe squishy. A Niffler. Do you want to meet a Niffler? What is a Niffler? Now I got to look this up. It's the oh. little thing in uh, Fantastic Beasts that steals all the shiny stuff. Shiny things. <laughs> sort of looks like a platypus. Yeah. Oh, I see now. A long snout. Fur of coal. It does look like it. It's like it is literally a platypus. But a magical, I mean, thieving platypus. So here's the thing. Platypuses are actually really disturbing. Like Because they sweat milk? Well, they're venomous? Uh, yeah, they have those barbs on their back legs where they like come at you they'll fuck you right up monotremes man monotremes I'm, are not to be fucked with i mean they live in australia doesn't everything in australia try and yes. fuck you up it tries to kill you absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um oh actually so that let's see what would be a Doggy, dog world. it's a kangaroo world there which episode are we doing the interview we're talking about the interview yeah <laughs> did you not tell by our content we're way off track oh absolutely we're so far off track so i'm funny but it, th- that's okay, because this content will come in great someplace. All right, so entrepreneur. She was an entrepreneur. If you were going to start a business, any business, and it was going to be successful, what business would you start? I mean, didn't we already do it? Isn't this it? Uh, just I don't make know it... if this qualifies as a business, because there's no earnings. Yet. 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 We're working <laughs> on it. We're working on it. Please, I mean, anyone sponsor us. Exactly. We'll, we will shill anything. You want us to sell something? We'll sell it. We'll sell it so good. Bandanas on it. I mean, clearly, like, you know, I, I have that aspiration to, like I said, hop on, a, you know, Dipsy and maybe start recording there. So do the oldest profession. Be self-employed is that. Not in person, just, you know, using the internet, using audio. Well, you, are, I think, Brittany, are aware of my dream, if I had money to drop, which I don't, of mm. opening a bakery slash ballroom dance club. I forgot about that dream. That was such a good dream. Yeah, it's a good dream that I could never afford. I feel like <laughs> you gotta Yet. look out for the crumbs, though. Yet. Like, crumbs and ballroom dance floor. Like, I feel like those are two things that don't combine well. What do you mean? That just means you're not gonna slip. It's like sand I, in the floor. Well, but I, 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 I thought with, with a bakery. Only if you spill an icing. Yeah. you know, Crumbs will filling. be fine. I, I guess. I mean... I, I mean, never... I assume most people are gonna get their sweet thing eat it to the side, and then go back to dancing. I don't assume people are going to be like, croissant and a cha-cha? Hell yeah. Yeah. Good food makes you dance. They're going to order some strudel and then order the cream separately and then be like, ah, 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 la creme. <laughs> what? I don't understand. That's, <laughs> this is from Glorious Bastards? Exactly. You dressed <laughs> up as one of the bastards before. Did you not watch the movie before you dressed up? I have watched the movie several times, but I have a memory like quicksand. If it doesn't remain on the top, it is gone. Brittany, whatever job you dream up in your entrepreneur, I imagine it's something surrounded in fairy lights. An exotic lamp store would be really cool or a unique lamp store. That would be awesome. But also just simply a bookstore. Bookstore would be nice. And you could do fairy lights there. Could do fairy lights there. And I could have local artists make little like bookshelf inserts. You've seen the ones Mm -hmm. where you like, yes, I have going down an alley or something Mm -hmm. in your book world. And I would like to host book clubs and like provide guided 
discussions for people to meet and do the book clubs and also i would sell the books you would be so good at that i think you would be so good at that thanks my mom told me bookstores were a dying business and that 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 was not a good dream well debbie downer yeah she can really go eat it and on top of that it's only a dying business in the sense of massive bookstores like a barnes and noble or something like that people want those cafes like they want those places where they can go and like buy a book and like be surrounded by the smell of books and like yeah just to experience the sensation of it all there's a really great bookstore in greenville south carolina i think it's called m judson and they have a section where it's blind date with a book which i've seen at a couple places but like basically a book is wrapped in brown paper and they write if you like this or they give you like three bullet points about what the book is about and then you just take a gamble and buy it yeah i have seen that as well have you ever been to one of those bars that you just go and play board games and they have a lot of board games there yeah we have one i think I think that combined with a bookstore would be my dream drink place. You can drink at M. Judson. So just to give you a heads up, there is a place and, you know, we should definitely link this in whatever show notes. Bookshop.org takes you to small independent booksellers where you can place your orders so you can you know choose to support them. Of course, that became, you know, a huge thing uh, right after George Floyd, right? Support your local Black-owned booksellers. There is a separate list of Black-owned bookshops out there or minority-owned bookshops, which I think is amazing as well so definitely i love supporting local if i can find a local shop i'm always down for it i mean we have some amazing ones like even in new england right the best indie ones like have you been over to brookline booksmith before yes yes i have i lived right across the street from that one in Boston can't remember the name of it right now because I don't have a brain. Brains are hard. They're the worst. Whenever I go to Maine, my friends and I just go in bookstores and I usually come out with a few. I like to buy, when I go to used bookstores, I really like to look for a local ghost story book. Mm. Ooh, those are good. Actually, that just another sidetrack. Like that just reminded me, the guy who does old uh, old gods of Appalachia, you can get him to do cameo recordings for you. Cool, love it. Yes, amazing. What if someone loved our voice so much that we could actually do something in cameo? <laughs> Getting back to like actually introducing the segment. She talked about her little sister, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, she talked about her older sister. Yeah, oh. but I mean, yeah, like she has a bunch of different like really interesting things, like life things to talk about you know the thing that i start talking to her about and kind of just like cold open the interview with we were actually talking for about 10 minutes beforehand uh, but i was talking about something i saw on 60 minutes and basically just like a really neat story about hey look there are people out there who are talking about mental health it's not just us it is definitely becoming more mainstream so i kind of lead in with that which is why this interview has a very weird cold open where i'm like speaking of good transition it's because we were talking about something else different and then i transitioned over to that so that's why there's this weird oh hey that's a great segue bunsen (laughs) made me listen to it in the car and i paused it and i was like do you realize you didn't say anything before this it's not a transition Uh, what are you you doing And I'm like, don't worry. That's what this is. We're going to do it. We're going to make the transition. So give us a really nice intro, Bunsen, into Dana's interview that's going to seamlessly write on it. Perfect. So Dana is a small business owner. 
She is from the Mystic, Connecticut area. She's been doing her own thing for almost a decade now. She has a lot of really interesting things that have happened in her life. Uh, and as I got to know her, got to learn about those. But, you know, when we started thinking about, oh, who are the people that we're going to have come in and do these, you know, special interviews, immediately somebody who popped in my head just because she had been so open about her own experiences, you know, dealing with anxiety and mental health. On top of that, she's somebody who is a podcast guru, has done a bunch of different ones. She inspired me to kind of talk to Beamer about getting this started in the first place <laughs> it was like it just made perfect sense to have her come on and uh join us and share a little bit about her uh life and her experiences we were having a conversation for about 10 minutes before i started the actual recording here so i'm going to segue into something is basically what uh i, I start this interview with uh, and that's just because we were talking about something different and it reminded me about something I just watched on TV discussing mental health. So that's where this interview is going to begin. And yeah, we'll see you on the other side of it. This next segment is brought to you by many rabbit holes and thankfully the ability to edit them. Okay. That was actually a really good segue because last night, 60 Minutes is on mm -hmm. and they were interviewing the captain of the South African rugby team since 2019. He's been the captain, the first black player to do it. And he openly just in the conversation started talking about, oh yeah, you know, that's why I go to therapy and like blah, blah, blah. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. you're going to therapy? He's like, yeah, it's like my medicine. I use it so that like I can feel better and I can be a better father and I can be a better husband and like all these mm -hmm. things. And he's like, you're just like saying that. Yeah. And he's like, that's like nobody talks about that stuff, especially in sport. I know I want to make it be a thing that it's okay for people to start talking about this. And I'm just, okay, so it's not just us and it's not just here. Mm -hmm. People, a lot of it's the pandemic probably, right? But I think people are certainly starting to open up. Shit's hard and you feel alone and it's your brain telling you this and you feel like you're the only person in the world who knows exactly how that moment feels until somebody else is like, no, no, no you're okay. I feel that way too. And that's what's so great about podcasts is that mm. you're getting insight into the brain of someone that you admire. If you're a regular listener of a podcast, it's they're not just telling you something. They're not just, you know, telling you a story. You are connecting with them in a digital sense. Outside Absolutely. of social media. And so yeah. I think therapy and mental health is one of those things where it's like a dam breaking, right? Like everybody mm -hmm. just keeps it in so much. Yes. And the second someone lets it out, it's like, oh, we're all going to talk about going to therapy and we're all going to talk about <laughs> our feelings and like, yeah. you know, cry if we need to. And yes. give yourself permission to have the space, you know? Yeah. I yeah. Think that, yeah, that's such a huge thing. But hey, everybody, it's Colin here. This is one of our a very special episodes of But I Don't Want to an Anxiety Happy Hour. I have with me today somebody that I admire greatly. I've known her for a very short amount of time in the grand scheme of life. I was immediately impressed with her as a person just because of all the things she's managed to accomplish at a young age, just because of how frank and honest she was, which is always awesome quality in a person. And yeah, so when it came time to think about like, oh, Oh, what are we going to do for these special episodes? Oh, I know exactly who I want to talk to. <laughs> I, I'll let you tell everybody who you are, but this is my friend Dana. So hello, Dana. Hello. Thank you for coming and joining me. I'm very excited to be here. I love what you're doing and I adore you and 
I'm just excited to chat. Obviously, I know a whole lot about you, but my listeners may not know anything about you, even though you are a bit of a media maven. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I don't even know where to start. So I <laughs> I own a business. So I'm an entrepreneur. I own a consulting business. With that comes all the other shit that you have to do when you own a business. So I have two podcasts, one about business and one about human resources, which is what I do in my consulting role. And I am a teacher, so I'm a part-time college educator, college professor, friend. I'm a dog mom. I'm now a cat mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a 30-something-year-old woman just trying to figure it out, like I think a lot of people. And when you think you have it figured out, then life always has a way of throwing curveballs at you. I think that was one of the things that impressed me so much about you is you've had some pretty extreme curveballs thrown at you and you're so calm. Externally, you're just always in like a very calm and collected and cool place. And I know that's absolutely not the case. And I know that you'll fully admit to that. To the rest of the world, it just seems, damn, she's got it. She's cool. Everything's good. It's so interesting because that idea of like having to keep it all together mm-hmm. just continues used to fuck shit up. Sure. I talk about some things that I've been through in a, you know, frank way, matter of fact way, but there's a lot of moments in that processing that were not so pretty. Yeah. Everybody has different traumas and we've Mm -hmm. all gone through different things. And sometimes that keeps you from wanting to reach out, right? Because you feel like people just can't understand it. Yeah. And I think it takes one person to be like, fuck it, I'm going to lean into it, or I'm going to share it, or I'm going to talk about it. And that, you know, we were talking before just about the human connection and how people just, they just want to know that someone is going through what they're going through. Like I think about myself, if I'm experiencing something, the first thing that I will do is I'll Google, you know, I'll Google what is... (laughs) And I was dating someone with a porn addiction. Like, so I was Googling how to have a healthy relationship with someone with a porn addiction. Like, that's what I was doing. And I find any results is the better question. I started listening to a podcast of this very young couple, husband and a wife, he had the porn addiction. And so they were talking about it. I think it was more harmful than it was helpful. Sure. But I just think that's a common trait where we, we want to feel we're not alone in whatever we're experiencing because it can feel so alone. I think the idea of being vulnerable around your mental health, it takes a lot of guts, but can really have some great payoff. That's such an interesting thing too, with like having to look for a problem and look for somebody to reach out to when you definitely, I'm sure in that moment felt like there's nobody else who's encountered this situation. So it's really interesting. You know, I'm very secure in my mental health right now, which has taken a really long time. But when I, ironically, I have a track record of dating people who have porn addictions. I don't think I knew that. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And so my most recent relationship was with someone who had a porn addiction, gone to rehab for it actually, and had really, when I met this person, they had a really strong, solid hold on their mental health. And so I was very hopeful that there was some hope there. I mean, you know, some possibilities. And it's funny, I joined this Facebook group, same thing. I was like looking for that sense of community, that sense of how do other people handle it. And I joined this Facebook group and it was not where I should have been existing because I was very much in the headspace of how do I have a healthy relationship with this as a secondary piece? 
And the other people in the group were very much in the, in the spot of, I just found out. How do I cope with this at all? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was a lot about like spending time apart and I haven't heard from them and control and checking and all of this other stuff. And so I had to eat myself out of that Facebook group because I was like, this is not a, not a good place for me. Yeah. That's pretty intense there to, you know, enter people's, you know, sort of discovery phase there. You know, meanwhile for you, it's like, you're trying to figure things out like in a, a stage where it's much past anywhere they're they're at who even knows if they'll get to that spot okay uh can this actually be a functional thing it's got to be almost like any other addiction though right people deal with addicts they love them i don't know like i don't know enough about it to speak to it in a clinical sense Mm -hmm. i can only speak to it in my you know from my own experience i know with my most recent partner and then the one i would assume this was a similar situation before that where it's like a, a just a natural fear of rejection and so the porn component was a way for them to have control without being rejected gotcha. which is like a whole other thing clearly there are unhealthy ways to deal with your anxieties and if we're talking about control there are healthy ways to deal with that and there are unhealthy ways to deal with that but that's for another episode for sure <laughs> we don't have to figure that out. Let's backtrack a little bit here too, right? You were talking about how you're in a good place right now. In our very first episode, we kind of did a little med check and everything. And do you go to therapy right now? Are you taking meds? So what is your current situation? So I'm 33 and mm-hmm. this is the first time in my life that I have ever felt wholly supported by my care providers. Nice. So I see a therapist who is lovely, and I also see a psychiatric APRN Mm -hmm. who is also amazingly lovely. Nice. I speak so highly of them because I was very intentional in finding one that I jived with and that I felt like I could trust and all of that stuff. All of my providers are out of network. Oh, So I pay full costs for my visits. I have that luxury and that I can do that. And not everyone has that. But I also think that that's a very important understanding is you need to find the right therapist for you. Yeah. That you feel like you connect with. And so, yes, I pay out of pocket. I literally have never felt this supported and you know, well from a mental health perspective. That's awesome. It's almost like an investment in yourself in that case. Here you are with taking a significant chunk of money every month and dedicating it to this one thing. I don't think many people would feel comfortable doing that or feel in a position to do that, but can certainly vouch for finding the right combination of people to be there to help you. I've gone through, you know, five therapists in my life. I've gone through, remember how many different medication providers And you need that trust there because sometimes it's trial and error with meds and depending on how comfortable you are opening up to somebody, it's like it can really impede the purpose of even going to therapy. Like I can remember going a decade ago when there were definitely issues in, you know, my relationship and I just didn't talk about it because I was like, well, I'll just focus on one thing and maybe that'll fix everything. That one thing was ADHD, which is definitely not going to fix your marriage when you're in two different places. So my relationship with my therapist has changed significantly. So Mm -hmm. when I first saw her, I sought her out because I was interested in somatic experiencing. Okay. Which is basically like rewiring the trauma in relation to your body. Okay. What I realized is that 
me having to explain what I was feeling in my body yes. made me feel really fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. And so it was almost causing me more anxiety to have to talk about that. And so our therapy has changed just to regular talk therapy. It might flow back to somatic experiencing sure. or another type of therapy, but it's meeting my needs, which is good. Yeah. I don't know that that was exactly what I was doing, but I do recall, you know, I was working with a mindfulness-based provider when I first was like exiting my marriage and everything. Uh, and we did do a lot of that, trying to identify where in the body you're feeling something, which, yeah, it's an absolutely uncomfortable feeling because you, you know you feel bad, but trying to identify where the bad feeling is and then think about the why is very... It can be a little jarring for sure. It was a lot. <laughs> Just kind of centering in on DBT at this point. I don't have diagnosed like borderline personality disorder. I'm sure it probably could be there or at least enough symptoms of it that it's really valuable for me to be doing it. You know, negative self-talk has always been a thing for me. I was always a self-deprecating humor person. Mm. It's not great for your self-esteem. It's a great way to trick yourself into thinking like, oh, I'm cool and people like me, but it's just, it's not a good look. It's just perpetuating, you know, what you're, what you're working on. Exactly. I got that in a professional feedback and that was the very first time I started to stop doing that. You know, it torpedoed a couple of promotions for me and finally I was like, oh, okay, if I just don't make this joke, it will be better. And it was shocking. <laughs> it didn't mean that I wasn't still thinking it, but that, that came later. <laughs> All right. And so bringing it back around again, you know, we we're talking about, you know, your sort of entrepreneurial career. I think of that and I think of all the anxieties of running a business when it wasn't mine. I can only imagine the layers of anxiety that come into it when I'm taking my whole livelihood in my hand right now. When you phrase it like that. <laughs> <laughs> what inspired you to risk everything and be risk like, fuck it, I can do this. I'm a yeah. boss. Witch. It's a couple different things. I, I think I realized very early on in college that I, I have this distinct memory of walking across campus after a math class because when I first went to college I was going to be a math teacher and I have this distinct memory as walking out of the engineering building and I I don't think I want my day to be run by a school bell Ooh. I'm like I don't want that level of structure and like yeah. repetition mm -hmm. so that was kind of a very early on feeling. And my, my father was an entrepreneur. He was a commercial fisherman. By the time that I was born, he had like gotten out of actually going fishing and, and got, and got to the point of just managing the boats. What I remember about my father is just how present he was able to be in my life. He was always the one going to my softball games. He would always do the chaperone thing. And my friends thought he was so cool. Yeah. And so just that idea of being present and available in the moments that really matter was something that was really motivating to me. Yeah. In hindsight, I work way more than I fucking should. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, that ability <laughs> to, to be available in all those moments is a bit harder to attain than I thought it would be. But that was really my original motivation is wanting variety and wanting that control over my life and my schedule and having that sense of presence. That's also like a really cool thing just to have as sort of a, a memory of your parent, like saying it like he's not around. He's still yeah, he's, here, oh, he's yeah. very much alive. <laughs> it's, it's just cool to think that you know, he 
did something that put you in a position to have these really positive memories. Like, so here you are, you're in HR. And I know that I've come around to an HR adjacent field the very roundabout way. And it's taken me a I long time. I get along kind of, so well. I know, right? Because here I am being like, oh yeah, training and development. Like that's my jam. I want to like, and I'm backdooring it by being a recruiter so that I can hopefully move into a generalist role eventually. And you know, I, I have a nice little path forward for myself now, but it took me, I'm 40. I'm going to be, so I'm going to be 41 in two months. So it's taken me a little bit to figure this stuff out. You know, I know how you came to it, but how did you come into human resources? I, when I first went to college, I was kind of, I had a douchey mindset because I, I I wanted to be a math teacher and I looked down upon anyone who was going to college without a degree path. Yeah. And then a year in, I found myself having transferred home to mm-hmm. college, yep. which I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll get into the reason why. Yep. And I found myself in an accounting program. There was this professor that just was a horrible human being (laughs) and stole any ounce of confidence I had in myself to be an accountant. And so then I found myself in general business. And, and so I was in like the same spot that I was judging everyone else in when I first went to college, because I didn't go to college to be an entrepreneur. I didn't think about that. Right. And then as part of my program, I had to take an HR management course and it's a 50, 50 split. The, The course itself, the content was just was right up my alley. And then I had this amazing professor who is a mentor to me to this day, who subcontracts for me sometimes. It's just the best, most beautiful circle of life. It's entirely her fault that I'm in this industry, but I... (laughs) 12, 13 years later, and mm-hmm. and now we get to work together, which is really cool. But I think about the field of HR, right? I fucking love therapy, right? And yep. like 50% of your job in HR is talking to people about yes. shit they're dealing with. I love the rules. There's mm-hmm. a lot of black and white. There sure are. Yep. <laughs> and There's then a I want... A lot the creativity in HR comes from the ways people find to try to fucking break those rules. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When I was younger, I wanted to be a crime scene detective. I gave up that dream when I realized I probably had to be a cop because I didn't want to be a cop. But I get that investigative yeah, component absolutely. being in HR. So it's literally like the perfect career for me. I just had no idea it existed until 2008, 2009, 2008, when I went to college. Wait, you mean a teenager didn't know everything? No. Wow. Right? Fast forward 12 years and I'm very passionate about showcasing it as a career path for for students. Just to spoiler it. I think it's amazing because that was one of the things when you were describing your business to me about the fact that here you are now teaching students and, you know, being able to bring them into the career path and everything. What are the day-to-day anxieties that you're facing now how long is this podcast as long as you want this is a special this is a very special episode so we can go as long as you want i look at it twofold right there's the general anxieties of being an entrepreneur so from day one i have always had this underlying fear that every single client is talking about me behind my back and they're all going to get together one day and fire me all on the same day and i'll be homeless So the imposter syndrome is a Uh, real factor. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, even I'm six years in now and I have a very healthy, safe stream of clients and revenue Mm -hmm. and all of those things, like the factual things that when you take the emotion out of it, they all exist and they're all very stable, but there's always that underlying anxiety about a client 
firing you, which is ironic because I it's really literally never happened in six years. <laughs> we sort of, we joke about it in recruiting because you're going to work yourself out of a job at some point if you do it right. You know, there will be a finite number of people that can get hired. And at some point, you know, your, your client's not going to have that need for you. And I think it's a little bit different with day-to-day -day HR, but I mean, you do some pretty comprehensive stuff, like you're doing employee handbooks and you know, obviously you're doing general administration and, you know, potentially taking on hiring and things like that. But it's sometimes, you know, there are things like we're staring down this potential economic downturn. Like that's not a great feeling, I'm sure. No. And no. I'm sure your clients are feeling that as well. So like, how do you cope with that? Well, when you own a business, you have to think strategy, right? So one of the most amazing things that I got to witness is all these other businesses at the very beginning of the pandemic, their ability to like flex and mold and shift and adapt to what was happening and yeah. also come from a place of service. You know, mm -hmm. like when a pandemic happens, everybody's in the shits. No one knows what to do. I saw this local restaurant and he freaking once a week, I think he asked people to nominate basically like a group of essential workers and he gave them pizza, Aww. you know, yeah. like, like he came from such a place of service and that just, I think, secured people's love for him and he's doing really well now, but you know, that is a common anxiety. And so you have to think about how to, how do I adapt? How do I recession proof my business? How do I make sure that I'm standing out? You know, there's, it's like a bar tap with like a thousand different beers on it. And you're having to let, figure out which levers you have to pull and when Yeah, just to make it all happen. That's a constant. And that hasn't yeah. even more so as we've grown, I have an employee now and she's amazing, but with an employee, you take on more clients. So the, the shit is still there. Absolutely. That was something that, it, you know, this is a spoiler. I heard it on you know, your podcast and I'd reached out to you after that episode because, you know, it, it was a really frank and vulnerable thing that you talked about where you'd had to, you know, let somebody go. And it wasn't for performance reasons. It was for business reasons. And I was like, oh, I know how it feels to let someone go. When you were coming to that decision, what did it feel like for you? It took me about three months to actually do it. It's interesting because it's what I advise my clients on all the time, you know, yeah. how to, how to fire someone, how to lay someone off, you know, what's best practice. But when it's your own, when it's your own person, it's just that much more personal, but yeah, it took me three months. I I've hired a business coach. So I talked a lot about, uh, talked about it a lot with her, you know, that human connection component. Yes, right. Right. And then I just realized, you know, I'm a people pleaser and by nature. And so I, and I have an incredible fear of letting people down. Yeah. And I think sometimes that makes me stay in things for too long. And I realized that I was putting my own financial safety and security at risk mm -hmm. by feeling like I had to keep this person on basically create work for them to do. Right. That's where it got to is like, I just didn't have the work to, to match their skill set. And, yeah. and so I think when I realized, like when I looked at myself and like what I was, the stress that it was putting on me to keep them around, I was like, it's not, I can't do it. I can't do this for that much longer. So yeah. I will say too, it's like, you know, spoiler, I, you know, this episode, and you did it in a very, she was very understanding and it was, it wasn't like there was bad blood created. And also it's, it's still a pretty fortunate time to be in this scenario because from my perspective, there's a ton of jobs out there still, especially in the HR field. And, you know, whether it's 
you know, contract work where you have short-term projects or something like that, I'm sure she will land on her feet. Yeah. And it's, it's not personal, but it's also still very much personal. Yeah. I think that can be hard sometimes taking the personal feelings out of it. Yeah. But it's necessary. Very necessary. So strange to try to remove feelings from anything, right? When here we are talking about anxiety, which is nothing but a pile of feelings. And so many feelings. <laughs> you know, we talked about imposter syndrome, but do you ever like do you feel successful? Do you allow yourself to feel good about the things you have done? It ebbs and flows. I don't know how to answer that in like a in a concise way. Yeah. I th- I think there's some things that I do and get to do, which looking back, I'm like, that's really fucking cool. Like I get yeah. to go, I get to sit on a panel on Thursday and I feel yeah. like being asked to sit on a panel is like, you know, you're a baddie over there. You're sitting on that panel, you know, you got interview requests flowing in from budding podcasters. And- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. I am very much... I- I'm not done in terms of growing and mm-hmm. scaling the business. So yeah. yeah, I get to do some really cool things, but I, I could be cooler. I, I, could you? I don't know. You're could. pretty fucking cool. Be way cooler. Yeah. It's not for lack of self-esteem, right? This is just, you have incredibly high standards of what success is perhaps. I mean, this is me putting words in your mouth. Like, well, wait, I know you're saying it's tough to kind of identify it, but you don't, you don't think that the imposter syndrome is like, getting at you too much that you're not allowing yourself to feel like you're accomplishing things i think it's a variety of things like yes definitely the imposter syndrome it's you kind of like skim over those major accomplishments yeah i also think it's really hard to capture the roi of an hr consultant sure you know, so it's not like I can go into business and say, oh, hire us for $30,000 a year and we'll save you $60,000 a year Yeah, because it's, it's all hypothetical. Hire us for $30,000 a year and avoid a lawsuit that could cost you a hundred. Right. That lawsuit may never come. True. So it's all like these hypothetical what ifs. And so, you know, I think in that sense, it's hard to recognize the value that you're really contributing to a client. Okay. So it's, it's hard. I mean, I just, I, I think I never want to be too big for our britches. And so yeah. the idea, and some of it is our strategy too, in that we're very much integrated with our client operations and yeah. we want, we want our clients to be able to call up, you know, you're not calling a 1-800 number and getting a random HR consultant every time you're getting me, you're getting my employee. So right. having that humbleness, that's essential for my business strategy. Okay. That being said, working as much as I do mm-hmm. in the business, it's hard to see it from like a thousand foot view of what it's accomplished. Gotcha. So basically you just need a bunch of like Dana stands to be like, dude, you're awesome though. <laughs> that's what I view for. And there we go. It's perfect. <laughs> you know what motivates you to keep going when you feel like having a hard day or a hard week or a hard month I have an employee who mm-hmm. was a student of mine so yeah. she's young and green but incredible and so I'm very much motivated to give her the best possible experience ever even today like today felt really stressful and in a way I wanted to like connect with her on that and say like that we have a lot of irons in the fire all of that stuff and I didn't want to put that on her yeah keeping her 
like gainfully employed, making sure she's growing and getting a lot of experience is really important to me. I want financial success. I have not, I'm not in a place where it feels like it's financial success, but if you were to ask me like, and I've always kept this as kind of like my measure is I will know I have succeeded financially when I can take my dearest friends. I have a group of girlfriends who are like the most supreme human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And so my measure of success is when I can take them and their spouses and their children on a vacation and no one has to worry about anything. That'd be fantastic. And I, I know that we'll talk about them in a, a few minutes as well, because I know how important they are to you. Do you think that being your own boss has helped at all with some anxiety? Like, do you think you've conquered certain things? No? I, mm, I say no. I, I So I talk to myself a lot more than I used to. Okay. And I think that has really helped the anxiety. Self-therapy. Yeah. I remember one time I was talking to a client and I was fairly new and I like, I know I had some price aversion where I felt like I wasn't worth charging what I really should be charging. And before I even got on the call, I put a sticky note up on my computer and it was basically like, you charge this. I think my coping mechanisms around my anxiety have definitely improved being a business owner because yeah, they had to. That makes sense. And and honestly, we can't necessarily eliminate that anxious impulse. But like you said, having a coping mechanism or a tool like that, that you know you can just go to and rely on, I think that's fantastic. So, I mean, it's great that you know now that you have to like do these things to set yourself up for success. So like past Dana's like, hey, future Dana, I got you here. We're doing mm-hmm. this. All right, go get it, girl. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's new anxieties, right? It's like, can I make payroll? Am I going to get sued? They're just new anxieties that I didn't necessarily have back in 2016 when this started. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Obviously, you know, I know a bit about your life outside Mm -hmm. of work and, you know, you're, like you said, you're an open book and you're, you're very willing to share this stuff. And I think it's really important because, you know, there's so many life lessons here that came out of the things that you've gone through that it's not fun to talk about but i appreciate that you're willing to go to this place always yeah and uh, you know like i said we just came out of our grief episode you know i'm i'm fresh off of losing my mother in Mm -hmm. april uh after having you know a lung illness for only two years during the time of covid which is really bullshit you know thinking back to you know even your childhood do you have certain things that you've identified that are kind of like where some of your anxieties came from (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my sister had cystic fibrosis. So I'm the sibling of a child with a chronic illness. And so I I think any, any person that grows up in that situation, there's a natural sense of having to figure it out on your own. I look at my circumstances growing up very uniquely Mm -hmm. in that I think some people would be very resentful right? My, my sister was older. So I was the second child and my parents had no choice, right? My, my father was the breadwinner. He, he worked, my mom did not work. And my sister had cystic fibrosis and it was pretty substantial. Like it did a number on her very much from what I can remember in our early years. And so there was a lot of like me just having to like self-soothe me having to figure it out. Like my parents just had no other choice, but to spend time and attention 
dependent on my sister. And so I think a lot of that, that, that just environment in general is yeah. anxiety inducing from very early on. My sister had to go into the hospital a lot. So, yeah. you know, I was eight, nine years old going up to Hasbro yep. and, you know, it's like no one else I know is dealing with this. Yeah, it's a big deal. And you, you lived a good, like that was a trek for you guys too, wasn't it? Didn't you live kind of south? It was like there? a four, yeah. So it was like a 45 minute drive up to Hasbro Children's yeah. Hospital. And, we're, and we're it was talking about for, for the folks at home too, we're, we're talking about Rhode Island. Hasbro Children's Hospital, a very well-known, very renowned hospital in uh, Rhode Island. On our pod, we've, we've noted here in the Northeast, we're very fortunate to have some pretty amazing medical facilities. That's definitely one of them. Oh, they were incredible. But there were definitely, I'm going to take a step back. So anytime someone says to me, when they hear that my sister, who my sister passed, obviously, but when they hear yeah. that my sister passed, they will always say, I'm so sorry. And that makes me feel so uncomfortable because right. I have such a unique situation in that it's like, we always knew it's like, you always know that they're probably not going to make it for the normal duration. And so in the same aspect, it's kind of like, when, you know, like, right. <laughs> is she going to get like a bad infection and that's going to be it? Or yep. I remember she went in for an appendix surgery. So basically her appendix was lodged in her spinal muscle, which was oh, causing geez. GI issues. Right. Yeah. And so she went in to have that repaired and like, she had a really bad reaction to one of her drugs and that was very scary. Yeah. So it truthfully, I have to be honest, I think this might be the first time that I'm ever realizing it just a series of my young adulthood of is this going to be it, right, which is frightening, Pre right. <laughs> I, I think I referred to it as like pre morning, right? Like that was yeah. my gut reaction to when I found out, you know, during early pandemic that all of a sudden my mother is really sick and had gotten diagnosed with interstitial lung disease, which is not a chronic condition in the sense of like it's not something your body does so it's not an auto it is from external sources but you know a non-smoker hadn't been in weird environments it just didn't make any sense but I knew or I felt like in that moment like great I know it's going to kill her now it's just a matter of how long until that happens and it just fucked me right up mm. <laughs> and you know granted i was an adult but here you are a kid and this is your big sister which despite all the health things and everything you loved her like that's your sister and yeah oh, it's of like, course yeah and it's it's like fuck like how many times and i'm sure it's a countless number of times but like how many times do you have to worry about that at that young age that's not something that most of us go through you know life sort of having hanging over us is this possibility of a real possibility of something going terribly wrong it's like constantly being in the flight mode like constantly yeah. being ready to go Haley's in the you know her, her name is Haley. Haley's in the yep. hospital again yep. um, we're gonna go up and visit her you know and then she she actually had a double lung transplant up at Brigham and Women's in 2010 yep. and so even that is like a mind fuck because like yeah one medical miracles is like holy fucking shit yeah but then it's like you kind of get this false sense of like brand new yeah and great. and so much can 
go wrong. And unfortunately it did. You know, it's just like this roller coaster of like excitement, pure sadness, hope, more sadness. It's just wild. It's this wild roller coaster of emotions mixed in there with like a teenager, college, high school, boyfriends, parents, shit. Like, you know, it's just, and (laughs) to, to my very first point, like I know no one that went through something like this. No, again, no one is going to have this exact scenario. And it it is one of the things that sort of immediately captured, you know, my interest in being like, I gotta have Dana talk about this because no one, you know, maybe somebody out there is going to hear this and be like, oh no, I had a sibling who had that chronic illness too. And I like, I get it. But the thing that when you told me all about Haley and the thing that really crushed me was, you know, the lung transplant and all this, like this hope and sort of joy that you experienced afterwards where she's finally feeling better and then fucking rejection and and she made the choice to be like i'm not going yeah so that's you know medicine is crazy and that you can get this pair of lungs and it's and and even that i have to say like in order for my sister to get a new pair of lungs someone else had to grieve i don't talk I, i don't think i've shared this very openly but like my sister and it's common in the post transplant world where you have a sense of worthiness yeah or, or, you know, you, you struggle with feeling worthy after you receive this second chance of life. So like, you know, that in itself is a moment, right? Like <laughs> I'll never forget my sister met her donor's family and they then came to her, my sister's funeral oh. and that it's like double loss for them, right? Like I'm just experiencing one loss. They're experiencing double loss. Yeah. And I just like, can't even imagine. So when you get a transplant, if you are not successful and I don't know how it is with other organs, but for lungs, yeah. if you're if you're not successful, it can be very hard to find another place that will retransplant you. Yeah. And so my sister started to have rejection. She started to develop to develop some nodules on her lungs. I think she was just done. Like I think she was kind of like very much at peace with what she had lived and her yeah. experiences. And she decided that she didn't want to do it again and yeah. and i know my parents struggle with that i very much find peace in that it was it was her choice. her yeah her choice and the hospice journey is like fucking god that's wild but we i have some wild memories like really positive memories of my yeah. sister in the yeah. last 13 days of her life and it's yeah. it's just a it's a crazy like juxtaposition in a way right, right. so yeah it's a wild ride might be the understatement of lifetime (laughs) yeah it's it really is amazing just all of the things that came together to sort of you know put her life together in that sort of way and that here you are her little sister and like doing what you can to try to you know carry on when she was finally gone did things suddenly just feel different for you like what what, how did it feel i admittedly I don't know that I've ever like truly grieved when she passed it was immediately the the switch flipped to let's alleviate any burden for my parents right now and so I did a lot of the funeral planning and that type of thing and and then there's people all around and I'm sure anyone I'm sure you like when your mom went like there's just there's lots of food there's lots of people there's lots of things (laughs) which i was gonna say with the social anxiety aspect of it is like the last thing you want because yeah i just wanted to kind of be a little bit alone Uh, you know i was i was fortunate to you know have somebody i was seeing at the time to like at least escape the house a little bit but it was a really like 
it was a fucked up situation when my mom went. So, you know, I, I also had my dad having a quadruple bypass at the same time. And oh, God. Yeah, my sister my sister took on basically what you were saying, that like role yeah. of trying to plan everything, which I'm immensely thankful for. I was super impressed by her maturity. I was like, Jesus Christ, I didn't think you were this person. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but she she was the one, she was the medical proxy. Like it was essentially her who had to be the one to say, like, yeah, we're we're pulling the plug, which is not a fun feeling to to do, I'm sure. God no. There's just a lot of like <sighs> after death, it's like there's so much activity for yes. like two weeks. Yeah. And then it's like everything goes back to normal. <laughs> it, it, it was so fucking weird it, right it was like it was supposed to go back to normal i mean had an employer who was generous and you know you have your five days of bereavement and you know i i took some uh, unpaid time as well uh for various reasons but holy shit it, that it just passes by so quickly it's like this is a mess i get what you're saying too about like never really truly grieving it and this is definitely something that i have addressed with my therapist and we were talking about you know, sometimes it is okay to just sort of go into coping mode or kind of ignore it or put it off to the side, but just deal with it when it comes at you. Yeah. I don't even know how I would need to grieve it Yeah, in a way. It's like, I acknowledge I haven't done it, but then I'm like, what the fuck would that look like 10 years later? Well, yeah. And that, I just, you know, I came across that, like, you know, in, in doing preparation for our things, I was sort of looking back through and I realized like, holy shit, it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Like a, just a month ago, almost. Yep. Just passed. It's like, yeah. fuck, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe my my means of grieving is to hold on to these really beautiful outcomes. And that's how I honor her rather than grieve. I think that's the other thing, right? There's no wrong way to do it. Like there, mm -hmm. you, there's no set thing you have to go through. You never know. You could just get, be in a position where someday you're going to get whacked by a memory and it's just going to be like the floodgates open. And, you know, you mentioned your friends and you had quite the support system I think it was mm -hmm. during that time frame so I have the most incredible group of friends from Rhode Island I've known them for 20 years now which is wild to think about and you hope that you would get you hope that you have people in your life that would drop everything if you needed them or if and I have five of them and yeah. I couldn't I couldn't be luckier and so when I talk about the the beautiful things that have come from my sister's passing is that my sister passed at around 4:20 in the morning which is really ironic given uh <laughs> the propensity of my father but um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they that night my girlfriends picked me up and we went mm -hmm. to a beach and we got i think we got panera bread i can't remember yeah and we just kind of sat there and talked and like it was normal it was like any you know like yeah we talked a little bit about it but it wasn't like a, a crying session or anything like that and so yeah. that is a tradition so every year for the last 10 i think we missed once during the pandemic that's fair but every year we all go to dinner on the anniversary of my sister's passing and it's That's just fucking amazing yeah. to like keep that going with you know going through your 20s into your 30s with all the shit that comes with that and yep. relationships or kids or whatever the fuck else to maintain that sort of core friendship is amazing that's that's a rare thing like i don't have something like that just in my own life so it's like it's just amazing to know that people out there have those sort of groups of people around them it's like that's so cool it's Especially, incredible well and that's the other thing too is like spoiler alert yeah you know, we were talking about your dad and your mom and everything so they 
<laughs> obviously <laughs> are no longer together um Correct. when when did the divorce between your parents happen so that happened i was 25 it would have been eight years ago so what is that 2014 so that's it like they were together all throughout like Haley's 28 life years yep and then the 28 year itch <laughs> you know it's funny it's like i remember when my sister passed away and my, my parents moved down to Florida together. And I was, was kind of like, you know, this is a new chance for them to have a relationship without a chronically ill child. Yep. And I was really kind of hopeful that it would be a relief for them. And it didn't work. And, and it's, it's really interesting. I've always had a very strained relationship with my mother, like yeah. forever. <laughs> she filed for divorce and it's like, Oh, mama's got balls. And <laughs> our relationship has changed significantly since she and my dad divorced. And I just, it's same thing. Like, yeah, that was horrible going through a divorce as a a 25 year old adult. When you, when your sister's dead and you have no one else to rely on because all your friends, parents are married. Like it's, the worst. Yeah. But I look at it now and like I have a much better relationship with my mom. I'm my coping mechanisms are far better than they used to be. <laughs> I'm really good at setting boundaries. Yeah. There's a lot of positivity that comes out of that that situation. Yeah. I, but you have to go through it. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. But it, I, I was having a lot of trouble with like the whole oh blah 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 I failed when you know you get divorced okay I'm sitting there realizing you know the vast majority of relationships in our life are going to end in failure so why not just look at like what are the positive things that you're leaving this with I don't sit here and look back fondly on a whole lot of things about that relationship and that's okay I don't have to I choose not to I can look at the positive things that come out of it like I've got two little dudes who I love dearly who who are adorable thank you very much <laughs> and uh I will take credit for them because Michael definitely looks more and more like me now so I'm like yeah <laughs> Cameron unfortunately has my body type but Michael has my cute features so I'm like oh that's my dude amazing personalities they're so different from each other but then I also grew to learn about the things that I needed you mentioned boundaries right like grew self-esteem back that I didn't know I had ever lost. Yeah, there's a lot of positive things that can come out of quote unquote failure. And and they're friends now, which is nice. You know, like there was like a year or two of, it was a little dicey. Yeah. (laughs) But I, we're definitely in this spot now, which is really nice. Like if my mom ever needed anything, I know that my dad would help. And if my dad ever needed anything, I know that my mom would help. And that's awesome. As an adult product of divorce, that's a really nice place to be in. Yeah. Like, I was so amazed when you told me about the fact that you guys all went out to dinner and they were, like, laughing and cheering. And I'm just like, wait, that's a thing? Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. I graduated with my master's degree in 2015. And Mm -hmm. I remember we went out to dinner. My parents were divorced at that point. It got mostly along. But I remember there being a lot of, like, awkward conversation about like my dad dating and my mom dating and now it's not awkward anymore it's just freaking hilarious (laughs) it's like them being the people that know each other's like deepest darkest secrets so they could be like oh yeah i'm sure she really loves like blah 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 or yeah Yeah. oh i'm sure he really enjoys when you blah blah yeah yeah it's great it's great that's funny that's so cool Well, and again, I mean, I love that that's like super positive. Knowing all of these things, right? Like this summation of your young life so far, you know, you're you're not even, let's hope you're like not even at quarter life crisis point. Do you 
see any ways that your battles with anxiety or the lessons that you've learned from you know mental health are going to help you going forward? I have a huge sense of reflection around my anxiety that mm-hmm. I probably have never had before. And having that perspective, and it's all the mental health stuff. It's, it's yeah. yes, it's anxiety, but it's worthiness. It's advocacy. It's those boundaries, like all of that stuff. Seeing what I have worked through over the last couple of years, I think having that perspective of like accomplishment around your mental health yep. is has me feeling very hopeful for future years. Good. I love that. I love that for you, but I just especially just love that that has happened. The purpose of us doing this podcast, right? You know, it's three people who are sharing their experiences. And I thank you very much for sharing your experiences with me today. But do you see us getting to a point, especially as an American society, do you see us getting to a point there will not be stigma anymore? I'm hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, yep. This, right? This is normalizing it, right? It's like these little these little incremental baby steps in the right direction, the talking openly about therapy with friends, with partners, with peers. Like I I think all of these little incremental things that are all happening at the same time will make a huge difference. Will there always be someone (laughs) who doesn't believe in therapy? Yes. Of course. (laughs) Right. They're not your target audience. No, no. Right? So will there always be someone that needs to go to therapy and doesn't? Sure. Will there always be someone who's afraid to talk about their feelings? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if we worry constantly about those people, we're not going to be making an impact for the ones that really need this. That is my thought on that. And I love that. And it's also staying true to yourself, right? Like if it's meaningful for you to create a safe space for people to talk about anxiety, keep doing it. Hell yeah. You know, I'll tell you, I've had experiences multiple times now of just coming forward and being open and honest about my experiences with mental health. Like for example, two years ago, I ended up, that was when I went through the time of like taking leave of absence from work and doing intensive therapy because my anxiety had become so overwhelming. You know, I sort of just disappeared overnight on my coworkers. Once I was coming back to working from home, I basically wrote a big thing and sent it to everybody, all 80 of them, and kind of explained what had gone on and talked about the why and encouraged them to you know reach out and get help if they needed it, just like, you know, help had been offered to me. Two people like responded back and they were like, thank you so much for doing that. Like I, you know, and so that was such a eye opener. Same thing. I had a friend who responded to my post about World Mental Health Day and came out openly for the first time about the fact that they had bipolar disorder. I had no idea. And I was like, holy shit. They're like, I re-, and literally, they were like, I respect this person so much. Like, I have to do this because they inspired me. And I'm like, <gasps> I love like, that. It's amazing. So yeah, these little things definitely add up. You know, I'm inspired a lot too by the sort of self-awareness that I think these generations that are like younger than us, like, you know, I'm geriatric millennial you're firmly in the millennial generation but the you know gen z gen alpha like they definitely understand better than we do they they haven't been discouraged from showing feelings or been told to toughen up or anything they understand you know maybe they understand a little too well (laughs) but it does make me hopeful that there's going to be a more open and inclusive environment as we age it's really interesting you know to bring it all back to the idea of 
what I do for work. Yeah. This is the first year in my entire 10 plus years of working in human resources where I've had this many employees of clients taking leaves of absences for mental health stuff. And I have the fortunate space to support them and honor them. And I think I've told multiple people this year that I'm proud of them for taking leave to care for their mental health. And so like if someone is listening and they're like in that space, you know, do it, do it because there's, there's leaves available for you to get the care that you need and also come back to your job. And I wish more people would do it. And I wish more people would not be so afraid of like bringing that to human resources and saying, yeah, I'm going to go into a 30 day intensive therapy program. You're going to be so happy you did. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, for me, it was not even realizing that I had the resources and, and we had a great EAP, those employer assistance programs. So many of us just kind of look at it and they're like, well, I don't really know what that is. I called that up and had a therapist on the phone the next day, HR department or my people team as, as they called it. No, they, they got everything together for me. They were like, don't worry. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to mark this up. They're going to contact you. If you have any problems, you call us back. Here's your case reference number. Like we are here anytime you need us. It was like, okay. This is okay. That's how it should be. Yeah. When I had trouble with, um, you know, the EAP or or the disability lead provider, my people team was like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to resolve this for you. You want to come back? We're going to make it happen. So yeah, it's, it is fantastic. And yeah, there are definitely resources and I'm glad that there are people like you and like I who are in these positions who understand the value of getting that help and encourage people to do that. So that's fantastic. I mentioned your uh, your celebrity there, but Dana, you have quite the amazing presence. Where, if our listeners are just like, oh my God, she's awesome. I want to know more about her and I want to hear about her stuff. Where can our listeners reach out and find you? Find me on Instagram. If you want to connect with me personally, it's Dana, D-A-N-A dot dowdell d-o-w-d-e-l-l and it's me with my little cat in my photo but you can (laughs) you can then connect with all of my business adventures as well so the podcasts and business stuff on there too your empire my empire (laughs) this has been absolutely fucking amazing because i had no doubt in my mind that it would be but i always have a great time talking to you duh thank you so much no thank you for coming on and doing this and you know being open and it really is such an important thing to continue this sort of like personal mission that we have of you know trying to make it a little bit easier for everybody and i think it certainly makes it easier for me Uh, hopefully you feel a little bit more at ease after having a little event session about some stuff so thank you so much my pleasure a big thank you to dana for being our second interview Now here's an ad. Maybe. Did you do interview time? Did you do interview time? Okay, we're at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Gonna work it in. (laughs) (laughs) That was uh, our conversation there. Uh, Obviously, we could have talked forever. But, you know, that's why you're friends with people, right? Because you just never stop talking. So, yeah, what'd you think? I think it ended on a really hopeful note, but her, like, pointing out that you can just take time off and it's protected 
for your mental health. I think that was a really important thing to say that a lot of people don't know, me included. Absolutely. It's something that I personally have taken advantage of in the past, you know, and it was through the inspiration of a colleague, uh, actually my boss at the time, because she had done it too. And she shared that with me. So it's important. And for me, the impetus behind all of this, right, was talk about this because it needs to be more comfortable for those people who aren't in the place where they're ready to talk about it yet. Like, I want to bring people out of the shadows so that we can have these honest discussions. I listened to this episode in the car with Bunsen. And afterwards, I grabbed his phone and I texted Dana and I was like, can we be best friends? <laughs> I don't think she wants to be my best friend, though, because she didn't ask for my number. So it's fine. It's fine. I'll just love her from afar. It'll You're be... a fan. That's what that's I'm called. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. No, I really enjoy when people can take deep, deep tragedy and help it shape them in something positive. I've had a lot of trauma in my life and a lot of very dark moments. And I am not super good at the let me take this horrible thing and feel positively about it. I tend to just shut down and get all sad so it it really impresses me when someone can talk about their sister and the struggles that they went through and how that helped shape them having it shape you is one thing being able to acknowledge that and roll with it super cool i think optimism is really hard to keep in mind when you're talking about mental health struggles and she did a very very good job of making it seem believable that someone could be that way Really what it comes down to is that sort of willingness to embrace the work that you need to do to get to that place. And I think that's ultimately, you know, what this comes down to, right? Like, you know, Dana has gone through, like you said, some pretty traumatic things in life, but she's also you know, continued to try to seek out ways to, you know, sort of cope with that and get better. You know, she's been fortunate to have, you know, systems in her life that kept her in a good place in some dark times, but she also, you know, has gone out there and tried to find, you know, the right people to speak with. And I think that is another thing that we need to feel empowered to do. So many of us assume, well, it's really difficult to find a mental health provider that I get along with or that I feel comfortable with. You shouldn't settle, right? Just like anything else in life, you should not settle. You should keep vigorously fighting to get to a place where you feel like you're getting the help that you need. And I know it's tough. And I know, you know, especially if, say, if you're in a depressive episode or something like that, you know, you'll take any help that you can get. And that's great. That might be what you need to claw you out of it in that moment. You need to find somebody who's really going to respect you, respect your story, respect your experiences, and get you to a place where you're feeling better and help you learn to keep yourself there or to help you learn to develop tools that are going to make things easier going forward. I've often heard that no child has the same parents as someone else, meaning that regardless of whether you're siblings, your parents parent you differently. I think some parents are better at the equaling the playing field where children don't necessarily know if they're the favorite or the not favorite or or whatever. My parents were not good at that. I'm clearly the favorite. Let's be real. But I think that it's hard when your sibling is given more attention than you are for positive or negative reasons and still have a good relationship 
with your siblings. And I have been graded when my siblings have negatively act out and received attention, even though it's not positive attention, but taken away from my time with my parents with their dumb actions. For example, when I hadn't visited my parents in over a year, I go to visit them for one week and I spend half of it going to trial stuff for my brother because he's the worst. And so I can't imagine being able to have such a positive relationship with my sibling, not only who can't do the same things as I can do, and also when our parents like have to give them more attention because they need more attention for a medical reason. I, I think it would be very hard to forge such a positive relationship with a sister like Dana does. And Dana, I think you're so impressive. I mean- it's true in the sense of, you know, we all have very different relationships with our siblings, right? Like, you know, my sister and I have a very, not antagonistic, but we give each other crap constantly. Like that is just where we're at, but we're close in age too. So it's like, you know, we were in high school together at the same time, you know, things that Beamer, for example, like you didn't have that with your siblings. Like you were, you know, you're the baby of the three. So it's like, I did go to school with my brother though. Oh, really? I don't think Mm -hmm. we knew that. Yeah. We, we went to Catholic school at the same time and teachers I had used to have him and they would be, and actually that particular school, my sister had gone to as well. And some of the teachers had had her as well. And I came in and they had expectations of what (laughs) teaching me would be like. And I, A, don't have a learning disability, which my my brother does. And B, I certainly didn't have the problem with authority that my siblings do. I wanted nothing more than for my teachers to think I was a golden child. And so teaching me is different than teaching them. But when I walked in first day, they were like, oh, look, another one. Hooray. (laughs) I love that. Another one. How rude. Exactly. They learned. I'm not just another one. I'm a four wing five. (laughs) Right. They sure weren't. I think, you know, it's great to like find these sort of interesting points and different experiences that people do have along the way. Because like you're saying, it's, it's. We're not all going to have the exact same experiences in life. And, you know, sometimes it's impossible to. The thing that I'm so impressed about with Dana is that, yes, she has found that way to turn something so incredibly negative into something that is, you know, a positive and inspiring thing for her. And I think no matter what, like, you know, when you have people in your life that you love and you lose them, you have to figure out that way to get to a point of not just coping with it, but being able to thrive outside of it. This has been another episode of, but I don't want to, an anxiety happy hour. Or as I like to call it, an anxiety happy hour. Or as I like to call it, ah! (laughs) I didn't want us to get lost down another rabbit hole. This next ad placement is brought to you by those who defy their siblings' logic. Now to roll the credits. Big thanks to Sam Rochford for her use of the song Pedals. You can listen to the full version on Spotify, Apple Music, or any of those other places that you find music. If you want to connect with her and you're secretly 83 years old, like me, her Facebook page is called Sam Rochford Music. And if you're hip and cool, her TikTok is 
boring, sad music. Do you like our logo? It was done by friend of the pod and artist extraordinaire, The Ramble Pies. Her Instagram and TikTok are at the.ramble.pies. Don't know what you want, but want some art? Her Etsy is The Rambling Merchant. Now that's all one word. She does do commissioned works if you have something in mind. You can reach us at Linktree slash Anxiety Happy Hour. On Instagram at an anxiety happy hour on facebook at an anxiety happy hour on youtube at but i don't want to an anxiety happy hour on twitter at anxiety hh pod because apparently there's character limitations thanks elon on tiktok at an anxiety happy hour or email us at an anxiety happy hour at gmail.com this has been a be anxious production What you eating tonight? Pasta bake. I don't oh. know what that means. Pasta bake. Is that um, a brand? No, it's for pasta. Oh, okay. Like like a lasagna, kind of, or a baked ziti. Yes, baked ziti and lasagna are both pasta bakes. I didn't enjoy. I've it. never heard of that branding. It's a whole a whole new world.